All right. You guys ready to jump in the Word? All right. Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to be starting a series this week called What's So Amazing About Grace? What's So Amazing About Grace? Now, we have sung about it all morning. You sung about it most of your lives if you've been in church growing up. If not, you've heard some songs about it. Even people that are secular sing about grace. Uh, people that don't know Jesus sing about it. They don't know the grace we're talking about. But we all would say, those of us in this room, almost all of us would agree that we all need some kind of grace in our lives. And I'd argue we all need this amazing grace that we've been singing about, that we talk about. But the question is, do we really understand what's really so amazing about grace? We sing about it. We walk in, we don't think about it much sometimes as we begin to sing the words on the screen, as we talk about it in our Sunday school gatherings, in our small groups, around the kitchen table. Do we really understand, though, why we are in such great need of it? Do we really get why we call it amazing? Do we actually really believe that it's as amazing as we sing about it being? Uh, today we're going to talk about this, and it's going to be one of the harder parts of this series it's going to get better and better every week, so make sure you come back, invite your friends. But today we're going to talk about the fact that we all really do need amazing grace. And why do we need it? Why is that such a big need in our lives? You may not have recognized it when you walked in today, but before you leave, you will see why you need this kind of amazing grace. So I want to pray for us as we begin this trek through the scriptures in Ephesians 2. I say it's a trek, it's a short amount of verses, but it's a lot of depth in what we're going to talk about. So let's pray and ask God to lead us, to illumine our minds, and to change us according to his word. Father, we ask right now that you would work in us. Lord, this is not about individuals getting what they want. It's not about um, us hearing ourselves revel over something that is good or that we find some joy in. It's about understanding why we need you in the gravest of ways. It's about understanding why the grace you've shown us in Christ Jesus is really so amazing. So Lord, work in us. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our minds to understand and our hearts to feel and experience and change our lives accordingly, Lord, so that we might look more and more like your son Jesus after today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We all need amazing grace. Look at the text of me, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. And you, he's talking to the church, and you, these are Christians, people that call themselves followers of Christ, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Read it one more time. Look at me again. He's talking to the church, the church at Ephesus. He, Paul's writing this letter under the leading and movement of the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, every word chosen by God on purpose. And he uses pretty strong language. Look what he says to them You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body into the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Today, when we talk about the need for grace, I think we seldom actually ask the Lord to reveal to us the depth of our need for this grace. And so I want to make sure we get this right off the cuff. Not that you didn't get it already, but I want to say it in even a more plain way, a way that might just be a little more simply in our own vernacular. Let me just say it like this. Without God's amazing grace, we are dead men walking. Without God's amazing grace, we are dead women walking. We are dead people walking. And that's a strange phrase, isn't it? Because you may think, well, everybody around me is not dead. They're breathing. They're talking. Some of them are doing good. So what does he mean when he says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses? I'm going to go to a couple of guys smarter than me to give you a long definition of this, what it means by saying that we are dead. And I'm going to give you a short one. The first guy is John Stott. Uh, He's not with us anymore. He's gone to be with the Lord. But here's what he says about this. He says, this biblical statement about the deadness of non-Christian people raises problems for many because it does not seem to square with the facts of everyday experience. Lots of people who make no Christian profession whatsoever, who even openly repudiate Jesus Christ, appear to be very much alive. One has the vigorous body of an athlete, another the lively mind of a scholar, a third the vivacious personality of a film star. Are we to say that such people, if Christ has not saved them, are dead? Yes, indeed. We must and do say this very thing. For in the sphere which matters supremely, which is neither the body nor the mind nor the personality, but the soul, they have no life. And you can tell it, he says. They are blind to the glory of Jesus Christ and deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God, no sensitive awareness of his personal reality, no leaping of their spirit towards him in the cry, Abba, Father, no longing for fellowship with his people. They are as unresponsive to him as a corpse. So we should not hesitate to affirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death. And that those who live it are dead even while they are living. To affirm this paradox is to become aware of the basic tragedy of fallen human existence. It is that people who were created by God and for God should now be living without God. Indeed, that was our condition until the good shepherd found us. Now we like to wash over that. We don't want to hear that. We don't like to think that we were dead. That's a pretty hardcore term. Jesus uses those kind of words all over the New Testament, though. In fact, um, R.C. Sproul says this in a more succinct way. He says his point, talking about Paul's point here, is to describe man's spiritual state, not his biological state. Obviously, when we come into this world, we are biologically alive. We have minds that function, hearts that beat, wills that choose. We have affections, emotions, and all the rest. The problem is that even though we have the power to choose, we are dead to the things of God. And as a result, have no desire for the things of God. Rather, we follow a different course. We follow it willfully. We follow it freely in the sense of doing what we want to do. But with respect to spiritual things, we are dead. We get that? So we look back at the scripture and we say, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I hope I'm talking to everybody in here that is a past tense statement that you were dead because all of us 
either are or have been dead spiritually. Dead to God, dead to spiritual things in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked or are walking right now. Now, you say Jesus talks about this? Yeah, Matthew 8, 21 through 22, Jesus says, another disciple said to him, like first, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. He's saying, let those dead people bury the dead people. Matthew 23, 27 through 28, we've recently looked at this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of, listen, dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear to righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So in other words, to not be following the king is to be dead, is what Jesus Spiritually, you are dead, full of dead people's bones, dead on the inside, even though you look alive on the outside. And he says here several ways in which we can tell if we are one of these folks. Let me give you these as we walk through the text. Look at verse 1 again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So if you are not changed by this amazing grace, then we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture says, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Trespasses and sins, when you look at this in the original languages, trespasses is something you do. You know this, same in English. You step over the line. You trespass a boundary. You go over about it. It means it's a sin of willful commission. You are actively doing something in rebellion against God. You're crossing a boundary set up for you. And sin, that word is the Greek word harmartia. That's your Greek word for the day. And it means to miss the mark. Okay, think of archery. Who likes to bow hunt? Anybody? Shoot a bow. A few of you? Not only one? Two, three? Okay, come to my house. We'll play. If you miss the mark, it's called sin. And so these can be sins of omission, things you don't even intend to not do. You just don't do it, or you actively don't do what you should do. Trespasses, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Sin is anything that we do that does not proceed from faith in God and is not done for the glory of God. That's a big, tall definition, isn't it? Sin is anything we do that does not proceed from faith in God and for the glory of God. That means you can do something really good for somebody, but if you do it for your own glory and not for God's glory, it's a sin. If you do it for someone else's glory and not for God's glory, it is seen as sin. If you do that not because you're believing in God, but because you're believing in self, it is sin. That's a huge statement. Later on in Romans, Paul backs that up. He says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, or in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything we do is for that. We are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from amazing grace. And that's because we are sinners by nature. We need to understand this. This is really important. If you don't get anything else today, you need to understand this truth that we are sinners, not because we sin. So it's not like you steal something and now you're called a thief. You steal something because you're already a thief in your heart. You understand? That's the idea with sin. You're a sinner because your very nature, your core of your being as your soul is sinful. Therefore, you will sin. Romans 5, 12 through 14, listen to this. 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. You see? It's within us. It's handed down through the lineage of all mankind. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. In other words, your sinfulness comes from within you because you were born sinners. That's why you sin. That's why we sin. So we are dead in our sins and our trespasses by our very nature. Romans 3 9 and on, Paul goes a little further. What then? Are we Jews any better off? He's talking to his countrymen. He's boxing them in. In fact, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is a summary statement of all of Romans chapters 1 through 3. Here's what he says. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Not better off than the Gentiles. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, in other words, everybody, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Nobody, nobody in this room, in and of themselves, does good in the eyes of saying we are doing right things that proceed from faith for the glory of God. None of us does that of our own account because we are dead spiritually and unless God makes a change in us. And that's hard for us to swallow. Some of us in here should be and probably are bristling over that because we don't like to be told that we don't do good things. We don't like to be told that we are dead. Why such strong language? To prove the point to us that we need amazing grace. This is the reason. To show that he's the one that can overcome this. No matter how much you try when you're dead, you cannot bring yourself to life. It's impossible. You ever seen anyone do it? It's impossible to do that. And we must understand this. This is not a theological exercise. This is a truth statement. You say, well, I desired God. That's because God was awakening you and calling you to himself. I think it's in Matthew 6, 44. Jesus says that nobody comes to the Father unless he calls him to me. God starts to work in you long before you ever know it. In fact, he's known you before the foundation of the world. And if you're going to be his, he's already working in you from point one to draw you in over time until the point where you come to faith. Before that, we are dead. So are you obedient to your sin or to the Savior? Are you obedient to your sin or to the Savior? You will be we are slaves to the one or to the other. We are either slaves to the one who wants to kill us, our sin, or we are slaves to the one who wants to liberate us from sin. And we willfully indenture ourselves to him. Romans 6. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You are owned by something. You are obedient to something. To whom or to what are you obedient? Either to sin or to the Savior. The one who would see you dead forever or the one who wants to save you. You were dead in the trespasses and sins of which you once walked. We all need amazing grace. A second sign of this, 
And you might not exhibit all these. You might not be aware of all of them, at least. But the second one of these is right here in the scriptures. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. In fact, that word for world in the Greek is used over 150 times. And that word is always used in a negative connotation. So following the course of this negative world. In the sins in which you once walked, you were dead, following the course of this world. Are you following the ways of the world instead of following Jesus? And you want to say, well, no, of course not, right? The ways of the world here are classified evil because they are not the ways of the Creator. Galatians 1, Paul talks about it, right? He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And that age is ongoing until the king comes back. The world is anti-Christ. It's easy to find out. They're not anti-God. I put that in lower G cat, like quotations. But you can talk about God as long as you don't get too specific. But the minute you talk about Jesus, the world bucks you hard. The world is anti-Christ. I'm not trying to be one of these preachers that says the world is evil and we're good. No, we are sinners. It's that we all need amazing grace. And the world around us is not in favor of Jesus. And so if you're following the ways of the world, you're not following the ways of the Christ. The world is anti-Christ, even though God himself has made himself known to them through his creation. Romans 1, you know this, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, they know it. They know it, but they can't do anything about it. They're not doing anything to change. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You may think, I don't do that. I don't ever worship other things like creatures. Instead, oh, but we do. Our hearts are idol factories. We continually make up things to put our affections on and put that in the place of God's rightful seat in our hearts. It's a constant fight. And I would argue that we, unless we consciously fight the influence of the world on us, even though we claim to be followers of Jesus, that we too are following the world often more than we are following Jesus. Take every thought captive, brothers and sisters. Are you listening to the ways of the world? Are you listening to the logic of the world instead of listening to the logic of the Savior and of His Word? What is it that permeates your thoughts and your decision-making? Beware the wisdom of this age and immerse yourself in the ways of the Savior. We all need amazing grace. You can't do it on your own. Run to the one who can cover you in His righteousness. Run to the one who can renew your mind, renew your hearts. Daily must run to Him instead of His feet. We must give all of ourselves over to him daily. Oh, how we all need that amazing grace. Another way, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So maybe you're not noticing how you follow the world, but are you following the prince of the power of the air? That's a funny statement, isn't it? That there's some prince that is in charge and the reason they use this language is people had an understanding at that time that the heavens were up here and the intermediary state between the earth and that was this other level where the evil spirits roam. And that's how they classified it. That's how he's using this language, the prince of the power of the air. You may think, well, what's he talking about? He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the enemy. He's talking about the devil, Right? Matthew 9, 34, but the Pharisees said about Jesus, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. See, there's that language again. Or Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God, little g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The enemy is against you. Yes, there is an enemy. He is real. The prince of the power of the air. Are you following him? Of course you're not. But the question might be better phrased. Are you led by the spirit of Satan instead of being led by the spirit of God? How would you know? How would we be aware? You say, of course I'm not. I'd never follow the evil one instead of following the righteous one. I would never do that, but be careful. Brothers and sisters, and in the immortal words of the American poet O'Shea Jackson, I said it before, I say it again, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. John Owen would say it, best be killing sin before sin be killing you. Ask yourself, are you better described as sons and daughters of obedience or sons and daughters of disobedience? That's a better way to say it. Are you better described as a son or a daughter of obedience to the king? Or as sons and daughters of disobedience? Say it again. Are you better described, you individually, as a son or daughter of obedience to the king of kings? Or are you better described as a son or daughter to the prince of the power of the air? Do you you understand? To obedience to him. Do you do the will of the enemy? I will oftentimes, usually when I'm at my wit's end with one of my children, I'll I'll say, please, brother, please, sister, don't, don't, don't do the work of the enemy. Don't be on the enemy's team. How do you know the difference? Because you immerse yourself in the word of God, his self-revelation, so we may know which is which, and we may walk accordingly. He says, you're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Is that true for you, brother? Is that true for you, sister? Were you Dead in the sins in which you once walked, or are you still walking in those sins? Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Are you following the enemy, or are you following the Savior? The sons of disobedience are led by the spirit of Satan. The sons of obedience are led by the spirit of God, and they are not equal. This is not a yin and yang. God is the all-powerful one. The enemy is fighting a futile war that has already been lost because the Son has come and has declared victory in his resurrection over death, Satan, sin, and hell. There is no more war, but there are still battles raging. Is there a battle in your heart even now that we need to turn from? To the King, 
to become sons of obedience, daughters of obedience to the king. See how great our need is? We all need amazing grace. It is beyond us. We fail miserably. We fall into the clutches of the enemy. We fall into the ways of the world without falter, it seems at times. We must turn back to the one who can bring us through, who can renew our hearts, renew our minds. We do that by staring in his face through his word, by bowing to him and not to the ways of the world or to the ways of the prince of the power of the air. How great our need is for that amazing grace. Look again, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Look, you can follow the ways of the world. That is one stream against us if we are in Christ. But you can follow the ways of the world and you will never know it until you look back into the face of Jesus because it is so easy to flow with that flow. Or if you're not his, you could be moved by the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. Or if you are the kings even, and your eyes are off of him, you could be drawn into following that evil one without even recognizing it at first until after events have happened. And the Holy Spirit checks you unless you've put a deaf ear to the spirit over and over again and you do not hear him any longer. Do not, brothers and sisters, think though that the enemy and the world is all that we have to fight. Because I believe the greatest of these, especially for those who already are alive in Christ, is the power of our own flesh to sway us away from the ways of the master who has given his life for us. Look at it again. Among whom, the sons of disobedience, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You and I sin because we want to sin. Not because the devil made us do it. The devil has no power over you if you're in Christ. So we sin against God because we want to sin against him. That's not how we want to view it. We sin against, we do things we should not do because we yearn for those things more than we yearn to be holy as God is holy. We yearn for those things that bring us immediate satisfaction and gratification, even if it's but for an instant, instead of yearning for the one who gives us eternal joy. Dead men live out the passions of their flesh instead of passionately living for the Savior. Let us not live like dead men if we're alive. And if you have been dead and yet now you hear that you have been dead and you yearn to be alive, call out to the Savior to save you now. You do not need to wait until the end of this time. You do not need to wait until tomorrow for you might not have it. Call upon the King now. Do not wait. And if you are his already, but you have been steeped in sin, or there's a sin that has entangled you, call out to the Savior to save you from that sin even now. Do not hold it. Don't wait. Don't think we need only fear being led by the world or by the enemy, because how great is our sinful flesh to take us away from the Savior. Listen, Romans 8, 6 through 9. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
but to set the mind on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Dead, remember? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, brothers and sisters, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do not be fooled. You might not be His. If you're living in these ways, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following your passions of your flesh and not following the Savior, you might not be who you think you are. The beautiful thing is is that even if you're not, turn to the Savior today. Repent from those things and turn to him and you can be saved. And you may think, maybe I don't need to be saved. doesn't matter. Turn to the Savior and find healing again. Find refreshment for your soul. It doesn't matter if it's for the first time or tenth time. You don't get saved a million times. You get saved once, but you keep coming back for more because he's the only place from which you can find that drink that refreshes and satisfies forever. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You must be alive, not dead, to see those things. So who really is your guide daily? When you argue with your spouse, when you discipline your children, when you make decisions in your business or with your finances, is it your flesh or your heavenly Father that guides you? Is it following the spirit of the power of the air, the enemy that's at war against you, or is it following the the king of kings who gave his life for you to bring you into eternity with him? Do you listen more to your flesh than to your heavenly Father? Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And to put it another way, you must no longer walk, brothers and sisters, as those do who do not know Jesus. Don't do it anymore. In the futility of your mind or their minds, they are darkened to their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. But you are not. So why should we walk in those ways? He says, you will be holy for I am holy. Yes, you have freedom in Christ. Yes, you have been saved so that you don't have to earn your way. But that does not change the fact that he saved you to holiness, to be right before him. And he will continue working in you. But when you set your eyes on the world, you set your eyes on the enemy, you set your eyes on your own flesh that wars within you, you will not be walking in a way that is holy. And therefore, you defame the name of Jesus. Man, let us not be those people. I say those people because so easily and even quicker, I believe, can the religious become that than anyone else because we're the ones saying we are following the king and people can tell when we're not. Of course our father can tell. Look, dead men carry out the desires of the body and the mind, but those who have been made alive by God's amazing grace carry out the desires of their creator who makes them new and renews their mind. Do you see? Do you see how much we really need amazing grace? Do you understand? Do you really get it? Do you, do you begin to see the depth of our sinfulness? If we don't, look at how he ends it. Begin it again in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. 
Every one of us before you became alive in Christ. And if you are not now alive in Christ, are by nature children of wrath. That means you were born a sinner. John 3.36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That means from the moment you are born, if you are not his, wrath is upon you. It's a matter of time before it is doled out. And if you come to faith, that means all the wrath due you was poured out on Jesus on the cross. In your place, he stood condemned fully under the wrath, taking it all in so that you could be made alive in Christ and brought into the family of God, never to see that. Your sin wiped as far away from you as the east is from the west because Jesus took it all on the cross and died under that wrath. And if you are not in Christ, you will endure it forever and eternity when you go from this life. Dead spiritually to dead physically means enduring it forever. John Stott says, so what is his wrath if it is neither an arbitrary reaction nor an impersonal process? Because it's not arbitrary. It's not impersonal. He says, it is God's personal, righteous, constant, listen, constant hostility to evil. His settled refusal to compromise with it. And his resolve instead to condemn it. If we are being made into his image, why would we not constantly be at war with anything that points out that wrath is needed? Constantly fighting our sin. This is where we fail. And a big reason why we fail is because we don't stare into the face of God enough. Because we don't get immersed into his word to know who he is and how to run to him and what he's done for us in Christ. Our hearts are not kindled afire, flamed into worship of the king. And also because we think we can do it on our own. We are not made to do it on our own. We are made in the image of God who is three in one, always been in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we therefore are made for community. Find some people that love Jesus. Spend time with them. Be honest with them. Confess your sin. Fight against it with friends who pray for you and hold you up when you cannot hold yourself up any longer. But fight your sins. We will not be the force to be reckoned with in this place if we are not fighting our sin together as brothers and sisters in the faith. We need one another just like we need God. We need him more, but he's made us for one another to work together, to be with one another. By our very nature, by our sinful nature that we cannot shake because of who we are on the inside in the very center of our being, our souls are naturally bent toward rebellion. Peter O'Brien reminds us, yet God also acquits the guilty. And only the person who understands something of the greatness of his wrath will be mastered by the greatness of his grace and mercy. Don't be upset that I said you're dead. Don't be upset that the word of God says you were dead before you knew Christ. Find great joy that I was dead and now I'm alive, that I was blind and now I see. I did nothing to make myself see, only God working within me. He goes on, he says, the converse is also true. Only the person who has experienced the greatness of God's mercy can understand something of how great his wrath must be. Once you see how much you've been forgiven, you see how much wrath was laid upon the Son in your place. And it moves your heart to worship. We all need that kind of amazing grace.
grace. And it's really amazing, more than we can imagine. Those who rebel against the holy and righteous king deserve the full and just wrath of God, but by God's amazing grace, you can be saved. Jesus' own words in John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Believe on him, brothers. Believe on him, sisters. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Are you dead in your trespasses? Today you hear the voice of God speaking to you, saying, repent and believe in the only Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Turn your heart to him. We all need that kind of amazing grace. I end quoting part of that song that we began learning today that we will sing again next week. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he has lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We all need God's amazing grace, and it's only found in Jesus. Father, we ask today that you would work in us this truth to the depths of of the depraved nature of our soul and that you would renew us from the inside out by your word, by the good news about Jesus, that he lived that life that we cannot live, the perfect life, the one in which we sin continually, trespassing, sinning, that God, we cannot live it out, but he has lived it for us in our place. And he died the death that we deserve under the full wrath that we should endure forever. And if we have our hope and faith in him, we will never see that wrath, but we will only taste of the joy and the pleasures that are forevermore at his right hand. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Today, please put people's faith in you. Give them faith to believe. Direct us back from the ways of the world, from the ways of the enemy, from the ways of our sinful, passionate flesh, and turn our hearts to you, the one for whom our hearts were created. And help us to love you because you first love us in Jesus. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.